And welcome in to the Empire Dynasty League podcast. Coming to you again on a regular Thursday evening tonight. Joined by Christopher Keane. How are you? Well, well actually, hold uh, on. Sorry, let's pedal that back a bit. Helps if I turn up your volume, Keeney. Try again. Keeney, how are you? The, the listeners want to hear what I've got to say. I was just saying I'm a bit fatigued from our uh, from our last pod just four days ago, but also fatigued from the dribble I heard from our guests. But uh, it's great to see, Hod. You're here again, mate. How are you? I'm very good, Jon Snow. I'm still recovering from your gags last week. The <laughs> snow globes. It was a very good listen back, that's for sure. But this is a big one, boys. It's not often that you, the guest is hounding you to get on. He, he lives for this shit. So it should be a very productive session. A lot more than the last one. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I have a feeling that when we pose a question to this guest, we won't be met with about 15 minutes of silence while he collects his thoughts. So with that in mind, let's get on with the news. Every newsman in this city is laughing at us. And I don't like it. And, of course, I think what is going to be a regular feature on our news this year is the Deshaun Watson news. Probably not uh, any more that we need to add to it other than what seemed like it was resolved at six weeks has now come out again with uh, a potential indefinite suspension and appeals and all this. So, got any thoughts, Hod, or are you just happy to move on? Uh, We will not comment at this time (laughs) in this matter. Um, So, is that Rusty or is that Hod? Can't tell. I'm always, always about Rusty Harden. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I haven't read too much into it. It was always going to happen. The NFL has to do this for their image. Um, yep. What what comes of it, we don't know. You would think that uh, the resources in the last process uh, came up with six games for a reason uh, and then now putting this out to an indefinite suspension of a year at least seems a bit odd. And all we have to go off is the Roethlisberger uh, incident from many years back, which was six games he, they appealed or something and got four. It's not going to go down in this one. I think it's a different day and age, but yeah. just a lot of water to go under the bridge. So not yeah, not really too much to say from my point of view, Keeney. No, I was just going to say, I think Scoot in the chat raised an interesting point around the possibility of this sort of lingering and him actually playing early on in the season. I think it happened. Zeke's the nearest um, comparison it happened to. So I wonder if you could just knock off sort of three division members in a row and just get the league off to a nice juicy start with Deshaun in the lineup. That would be nice. I don't think that will happen, unfortunately, but that would be nice because I believe that's a good little segue. I believe there was some announcements that we might get to a bit later. There Um, sure was. A uh, bit of a schedule release, and by the time everyone's listening to this now, they will know who their first-round opponent is. We'll uh, we'll touch on that with our guest, I reckon, because I think that will be, now that the entire schedule's released on Sleeper, we uh, we might even touch on that with how they feel about their upcoming schedule. Uh, It's almost like we predicted this on Sunday when we spoke about the Debo Samuel contract holdout and then I reckon the next day or the next morning he's gone and signed a three-year $73.5 million deal with was it 58 mil guaranteed which is pretty juicy mate the people are calling for it Kino's crystal balls that's what I'm hearing that's that's what that's what the crowd want and they've delivered how many people are calling for your balls 
one in my household. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Wowee. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy, obviously, with that news. I think it speaks a lot for how they intend to use him. And there was a bit in there about um, his use as a runner as well, I think, was even discussed. Yeah, I was going to say that probably the good thing for you, Ben, is there doesn't seem to be too much animosity around that usage as a running back. He's even got incentives around mm. rushing touchdowns and rushing yards. How's this uh, for a... contract? So clearly not too phased by it. And a stat I heard today was that if you took out his rushing touchdowns, he still outperformed, um, what's his name, the Bills wide receiver. Diggs. Diggs, yeah. Still outperformed Diggs. Diggs if you took out his rushing touchdowns, which is uh, not a bad season for the bloke. Um, Miami got stripped of draft picks communicating with Brady and Sean Payton during the season. Got a first and a uh, 23 first and a 24 third taken away from him. Hod. Uh, significant taking away a first. Uh, but what I really want to get to is, are we really surprised? It's another cheating scandal with Tom Brady involved. It's just another Spygate, bloody uh, tuck rule gate, whatever. He's always it, involved in cheating. Is it Bill Belichick, though? Because clearly it impacts his division member in Miami. Um, you know, he's the one that sent that weird old text, text message to Brian Flores instead of Brian Dable congratulating him for the Giants job. What is going on here? There's something going on in New England, mate. It, it starts at the top. The old crafty fingers. Oh. <laughs> Keep your crafty fingers out of this. Uh, Hollywood Brown arrested for speeding. I don't know if there's too much to this. I haven't really read into it an awful lot, but it seems like one of those ones that will come up. I don't know if there will be a lot of, uh, yeah, I don't really think it will be a lengthy suspension. It's not like he was doing a, uh, shit, who's the wide receiver from the Raiders? Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs. Yeah, he killed someone. So. Yeah, that's a bit more. That's a bit more to it. Yeah. <laughs> bit heavy there, Ben. Um, hey, Keeney said it, not me. Did they just get the speed gun out when he was doing the 40-yard dash? Yeah, oh, good one. He's quick. Uh, it was just a little heart starter for the grouse what, this morning. Can I just ask, well, uh, criminal speeding, what, what what do they get out there? Well, it, I think it's the difference is that he was going something like 65 miles over the limit. So it's right. like a ridiculously high level. of. It's almost like drag racing. Gotcha. That, that is on yep. a similar level then. Um, and then how's this? The curse of the pod. Here we are on Sunday talking up one of the DFF's players in Tim Patrick and then he goes and does an ACL. Um, yeah, and didn't sound like it was too positive with the reports that came out of that. And then, yeah, Hod? Uh, keep going. And then the other player, yeah, obviously John Mechie from the week or two before with Scoot. That was a day after as well. Um, so what I am happy about, boys, is I don't think we have our own rundowns in the season review and probably best keep it that <laughs> yes. way. Yes. So, Jake, Matt. Oh, oh, Jesus. Shut the fuck up, Hod. I was going to say, I'm very excited to review every single player in detail on this. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, anonymous, probably keep it on the download as much as you can. I was wondering why Ben requested for Steve to come back on next week again. So, (laughs) it's strange. Just doubling down just to be safe. Um, all right. Well, I think Hod maybe fucking gave it away. I'm a excited, there, but boys. Uh, what do you reckon? Let's introduce our uh, our guest for this week with one of his own songs here. Well, 
What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. And we could be referring to no other person than the bloke who prays to his fantasy gods every single week, the inaugural champ. Jake, welcome to the pod, mate. Uh, thanks for having me, boys. That was a sensational song selection. I'm glad you like it. I also was just watching Hod closely because he was taking a massive sip of his coffee right yeah. as it kicked in and it almost ended up on his keyboard, uh, which would have been... Extra special to watch, but uh, welcome to the pod. It's first pod for the season for you. Excited to be on? Yeah, stoked. It's uh, one of my favourite things to do all year round. It's better to uh, be speaking to you guys than listening to you interview fuckwits, so um, I'm really looking forward to this. Well, why don't you just roll on there, because normally we say what's some feedback for previous guests, and I reckon you've already teed off a little bit there. Any any thoughts on the blokes who have been on previously? Uh, oh. I was hoping to just sort of rail them off one by one as we uh, get to talk sort of through their rosters. Uh, who who would you like me to begin with? We'll start with one if you like. You can take your pick. Who's been on? Oh, let's go DFF, most recent. Oh, DFF. Jesus. Mate, that pod, I said to Hod the other day, at the beginning, I thought it was really funny. And then as it went on and on and on, I actually started to feel quite sad. <laughs> I was like, I just, I'm not 100% sure. He's quite all there. You know, do you remember this thing? It was from like the 2000s. Do you remember Beetlejuice? Yeah, yeah. It's all I thought of, listening to him speak. I'm like, this bloke's fucking Beetlejuice. He's lost the plot. Well, that's not all you thought of because in our conversation, you said something quite hilarious is you were trying to fill the silence as you were listening back and answer for the DFF. Is that true? hundred percent. As as especially when Kenny was pressing him on things, I was like, "No, DFF, your 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 logic is sound. Just go back to what you said. It's okay. This is what you should be saying." I felt like I should be coaching him. I was like, "Fuck, you just made a point. How do you forget?" <laughs> Mate, this is is this the next Bill Belichick? He's coaching the twos. He's coaching the seniors. He's about to coach the eighteens. Now he wants to coach a worldwide organization in the DFF. <laughs> Where does it stop? Worldwide domination. Would you put your hand up for some trading advice if the DFF did come to you and uh, was seeking out a trade? Now, number one, what do you think about his no-trade clause? And number two, would you be willing to help him? Well, in case you missed it, just just in case, this is his uh, number one rule. The DFF's number one rule. Number one rule to secret of success. Yep. Trade as little as possible. (laughs) What advice have you got for him? Uh, so I'd say that that's a horrific rule. <laughs> uh, and I'd say that if you just want to look at a small case study, which is our league over two seasons, hitting into season three, anyone that's traded has been successful. And that's really, really, really bad philosophy. And no, I wouldn't be willing to help him directly, but I'd be more than happy to put him in, uh, in touch with someone else because I don't want to influence uh, the league. That's called collusion, Ben. It's something that I also think has uh, been rife in this league a couple oh. of times. I do remember McMahon dropping a quarterback or giving a quarterback a cross. And so oh. I'm not interested in playing those games, but um, I'd be certainly happy to put him in, in, in line with someone that could possibly help. Have you, um, just speaking of McMahon, you, you always have a fair bit to say about them both, but have you been in touch with Global Shop Direct in, in any recent <laughs> times? 
Um, no, nah, not really. I did inquire about the uh, actual availability of CMC at one point, uh, just to understand where he was at. This is prior to my Saquon uh, trade. And the response I got was, I want as many picks and young players as you've got. And I just sort of ended negotiations there. I said, I can't do this again. <laughs> I just didn't reply. Uh, that's as much as the communication has been between me and any McMahon. Except for, no, Thais hit me up to uh, potentially auctioneer. And then when I said, oh, I definitely, I'd love to do that again. I can be there at 6 o'clock because I'm too late. See you later. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, giving you the cold shoulder. Just trying to return the favour. Well, you touched on it a little bit there, and we might even jump into uh, – a trade did go down uh, before the last pod, but we never got to it. And uh, like Hod pointed out very accurately off air, it's because we were waiting to get you on just to truly analyze it. So let's go through some trades here. The question is, do you want to make a trade? What is the very best that you can do? Come out of here with a handful of draft picks. We look like a season pro. All right. We don't need the full fucking drop there. It goes on way too long. I've got to uh, work on reducing the length of those. All right. The trade was Saquon Barkley, the inaugural pick for the Punishers, a bloke that he spoke up to great length. Uh, ends up on your roster here, Jake, and a 2023 third, and you gave up Alec Pierce, a 2024 first, and a 23 fourth. So you've done... One round back in 23, you've essentially just given up a first for Saquon Barkley in 24. Talk us through how it all went down. Uh, I reached out to Papa, um, just sort of wanted to gauge where he thought the market value was. Obviously, uh, the way the sort of the cards were falling around me in the leg, I thought I'm probably, I thought I was probably further away uh, two months ago. And then as things started to unfold, I'm like, you know what, I'm probably not that far. If I get someone like a Saquon who can hit, um, I'm sort of, I'm probably in with the chance. I reached out to him. Um, he was telling me that you know, typical Papa style, every negotiation is exactly the same. I'm talking to heaps of people about this bloke. So like, <laughs> okay, Papa. So where are they all at? And you do the dance and you get back and forth. And eventually we sort of was like, it's got to be a minimum of, of one first. And I think at one point he wanted a couple. Um, I, I was the one that suggested to go into sort of maybe a young player that he saw some upside in. I figured I probably didn't want to lose all my draft capital. So Alec Pierce is one that he landed on, um, not one that I necessarily wanted to get rid of. Um, someone that obviously where I was in the draft, I looked at a lot of those later guys and, and he was some, very, they're all boom or bust past round two anyway. Uh, well, predominantly bust, uh, but you're trying to look for that guy with upside, and, and I thought he was one of those, and he appealed to Papper, and eventually we just sort of squabbled over those later picks, but it never really was more than a first for Saquon, if I'm true. <clears throat> I'm just, um, I haven't done a whole lot on this, but I'm looking at a calculator right now. Yeah, smoke him. Yeah. Was there any talk of another first at any stage? Yeah, that's how we started. Uh, and then he also mentioned the calculator. I was like, I'm, we all know what a calculator is going to say because of um, who Saquon is and his age and all the rest of it. But the calculator doesn't take into account uh, injury risk and things like that. So we sort of dismissed it pretty quickly. Uh, we, know, I, we all know that if Saquon hits, and he acknowledges as well, that if Saquon hits, I'm getting the better deal. Uh, if Saquon flops, he is. It's sort of as simple as that. Yeah. Um, and that's all 
yeah, it started that way, but he was he was pretty quick to sort of back down from the second first, especially once I included a younger player that he was interested in as well, in uh, in Pierce. So what you're saying here, just for uh, anyone out there listening who maybe doesn't take part in trades regularly, is that the two of you got together, you had a bit of a back and forth discussion, and you actually listened to what each other wanted in their list, and then made something work. Is that how it went down? Yeah, it was very productive. Yeah. Wow, okay. Maybe uh, I might take some notes. <laughs> Um, sorry, I'll just jump in there, Keeney, before you. These trades, boys, are the best ones. Th- these two don't like each other. Mm-hmm. I, d- I don't care about the real world. I'm talking about in our fantasy world. They don't like each other. And it just puts more weight on this. And you've nailed it there. There, it, there is a huge variable in a superstar player that we don't know exactly where he's at because of injury. But it, just because it's between you two and Papa landed on you as the trading partner to make a hell of a lot better just spices this a lot more. So you say that we don't like each other, right? I think this is a great segue to maybe start talking about my young friend, uh, Michael, which I do call him Michael, is that we once had a rivalry because he was competitive and we once had a rivalry because we were potentially rivals. He has done everything in his power to make himself so irrelevant, it's not funny. He's no longer my rival. Ben Ben is a rival. He's in my division. He's got a good team. Manny, on a certain level, is a rival based on where he's at. Papa is so far no longer a rival. I actually don't care for his existence in the league or out of the league. He's quite honestly a nothing. The bloke stood here. Well, I'm assuming he stood. You probably couldn't see if he was standing or sitting. Okay? But he was on the pod and sat there and recited this routine like a fucking year six oral exam. Like, uh, 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 I don't get much time on the pod. Shut the fuck up. Oh, my God. He's, he's actually delusional. And it's no wonder the cunt's fucking malnourished. 60 bucks a week. Are you joking? For you and your missus, the bloke's like, where where are you at? Bring back Zen Papa. He had more fucking scope. Like, give me something. You're you're nothing. This is where we need Tim Oz to jump in because he would have disputed malnourished based on <laughs> based on the physique of the great man. Oh, Kenny, uh, you've been stopped. Uh, I'm more than happy to uh, be interrupted by an absolute tirade from the inaugural champ. Um, if you got more, mate, keep going. Otherwise, I'll oh, sort of... No, we'll see. I, do, I don't have my notes written down, you see. I just wanted to like make sure this it was free-flowing and, and came from the heart, something that Papa doesn't have, which is why he writes things down. Yeah. It's, it's got, it does have a real big brother, little brother type of vibe at the minute, doesn't it? There's... there's there's old Pepper in the corner and he's sort of, see you in five years, mate. Hope you grow up well. Catch oh. it then. Um, a couple of things with this trade, I reckon, which are, are worth pointing out. It's just sort of the timeline around when to trade a player like Saquon Barkley. And I think that's that's a pretty interesting part of it. I think in Pepper's mind, he sort of went into, or wants to go into this year almost selling everyone off before the year starts, not having to worry about it and get his, getting whatever he can for those players, for his best players, before the season starts. And, you know, he doesn't, it's almost like, I don't want to score too many points. I just want to try and get some firsts. And granted, to his credit, he's got eight first rounders in the next three years um, to try and rebuild his, his list 
quickly, but I just wonder with these type of trades, with the, the, the hype you get in training camp, with the first two or three weeks in the season, can you trade them off at a better time than four weeks before the season starts? I think that's just a gamble, isn't it? Like, I mean, the reality is there possibly is, but he's taking the conservative route and getting rid of him now before there is any any increase or decrease. He's just taking whatever the market says pre. So yeah. he's, he's taking the opposite to the DFF approach, which is just see nothing but upside in all of your players at all times. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I actually, um, speaking of rivals. Jakey Boy, I spoke to Camo today, and he actually wanted to ask me how on God's green earth you got Barkley so cheap. He thinks, and this may be coming from direct grapevine news, that there was some offers to Papa that were better than what the deal ended up being. So I can only imagine that that was Camo's way of saying he may have offered more than first and Alec Pierce. And he's flabbergasted that Papa's accepted a lower deal from his so-called arch enemy. And off the back of that, which I think we've already sort of gone through, he said, he's got Matt Breeder if you wanted to trade for the handcuff of Saquon Barkley. He's already started to get that little trade wheel turning. So he offered me Breeder (laughs) 40 seconds after my trade with Saquon went through. (laughs) No no word of a lie. 40's at tops. He's the best. He's the best. I just wonder, um, that's some interesting stuff there, Keeney, about other deals. That tells me Papa really likes Alec Pierce. Mm. Um, yeah, there, there might be a taste of the DFF here with a bit of an emotional attachment to a name. And obviously, I have some vested interest in this. And he is lighting up the camp. I know a lot are, but they are seriously high on um, his man coverage ability, which is what the only thing that was questioned. Because um, he's obviously a super athlete, so who knows? Um, Going to be interesting to see, but there's definitely some love there if he's accepted a lower deal. Yeah, I, I know I sort of roasted Papa just before. It's clear I, I didn't want to get rid of Alec Pierce. Um, he was one of the guys that I got late. Uh, that, as I said, had enormous upside. He's in a situation where there's a chance that he can sort of compete for a role right away. And his athletic profile, obviously not his skill set, but his athletic profile is equivalent to Calvin Johnson. Like he's he's a one-of-a-kind type of athlete. And if he can manage to, with some good coaching and a good system and things like that, be in a situation, he can, be, he can far outweigh a third-round pick in a rookie draft. Jeez. I didn't didn't realize we had Steph back on the pod, but uh, it's good to <laughs> good to hear from you again, Steph. Um, but if, if if this is eerily similar, to, as you said, Ben, this is the Steph strategy all over again because four weeks before this trade went down, he was a third round pick. So yeah. if you put third round pick instead of Alec Pierce, then you'd just be absolutely that's it ripping the cap off the three oh two one for this price. Yeah, it's why Steph is a moron. <laughs> Beetlejuice. I'm going to change his name for chat to Beetlejuice after this. <laughs> hey, I just, uh, I just messaged Papa to see, you know, how he's feeling about all this. You know, whether he does feel like maybe he sold a little bit um, too little for him. But he had this to say: "It's been real poor. I'm fucking upset." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I it's hit him the, hard. I think. Yeah, I think you're right, though, Hod. The, the other, it's worth it's worth discussing the other side of this, or at least looking at it from Papa's point of view and. And as you said, he might be really high on Alec, Alec Pierce, and that you know he's a 22, 23 year old receiver. Saquon's twenty five. He's probably got three more years 
of prime Saquon, you'd say. And, you know, for mine, it's, you know, Alec Pierce may be a better player in six years' time, but for the short term, which is sort of the window that you keep playing in, Jake, clearly a pretty big winner in this trade, I think. Yeah, I just look at the... If it was a 2023 first, I'd be like, okay. But at the fact it's another year, I just think... You're big on that, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, yeah. It's, it's, it's it's a lot a lot more. Like, yeah, because how yeah, much yeah. you can flip that 23 first for than the 24 as of right now, I think that says a lot, absolutely. And the, and the closer the you get to that draft, it's the more value that increases or the yeah. faster that increases in value. I'm not 100% on that with you, Hod. Like, I think he's pretty well set up for 2023 first round picks anyway, and it was pretty clear that he didn't want to overload a draft. But one thing was funny. He texts me right after the trade was done. He's like, oh, you know, well done. He goes, oh, I had some really good other offers. Do you know? What the, do you want to know what they were? I said, I couldn't give a fuck. Don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was dying to tell me about these other trade offers that he had. And probably to uh, to Camo's point, he might have had something really grouse. And said, I don't care. Like, you didn't take them, yeah. so why do I give a fuck? You got what was, you wanted. Was he fishing for an IOU because he looked after you this time, you look after him in the future? Who knows? Oh, I'm not sure. Anyway, I'm glad uh, I'm glad we didn't talk about this the other week because we'd still be going on that pod if we did. True. <laughs> well, let's go on to the more important trade that also went down, and that was uh, between your fine self, Hod, and your arch nemesis, Camo. Talk about rivalry sort of trades here. Run us through the trade and how it all went down. And before you do, Hod, this is absolute BS from you. You've talked for two straight pods about <laughs> your love ends. of fucking tight ends nonstop and you got some fucking slippery little fingers in the works and you're working your way through other rosters and tight ends and then all of a sudden we see a trade except go through and it's Donald Parham away from your squad. What's what's going on? Look, it, it broke me that... I- there was some serious back and forth. Like I'm talking between come on I six or seven. There was not one tight end involved in all of that. And I just had to go to the Chargers love. I couldn't not I could not do it. So yeah, as I said, there was a lot of back and forth. Um so and Parham was just the last the last one that went through. Um and and as in Camo's fine fashion, you just get the handshake emoji sent through <laughs> and then sleeper alert to follow. But just from my point of view on um why I went through with it, it was very funny. I'm high on Nico Collins, um, have been all off season, and Camo came to me with this. The stars aligned. Um so I, I just think he he may be worth more than that 2023 20, second in a year's time. And then I just look to get some added picks involved uh, to get Camo back into that 2023 20, draft because I think he only had a third or a fourth in that draft. So, yeah, for me, that was the driver. Um, and, and then Scoot's pick obviously might be pretty handy in two years' time. Ooh. Yeah, that's what I was actually going to ask. How did that start? Because when I looked at it in the end, I figured that Parham was the piece that was worked around, given sort of the the, the buzz that he gets from he's getting in camp and and the offense that he's on. I thought he must have been the centerpiece of that trade. Not not at all. It was literally the last the last piece thrown in because um, Camo was asking for <laughs> like some younger players, which just doesn't fit my strategy at all. I want to hold on to them so. I just moved it to a a veteran piece, um, someone that could help him 
And I just I just saw that he had Everett. I see a path for Parham, and I told Camo I I want the number one tight end in that offense. That's why I went out and got Parham. And um, if there was even the slightest chance of that, this shores up now for Camo that he gets the number one no matter what. And um, just off the back of this trade, Hod, this is probably more a question for you. You've obviously grabbed a second and a third there. Is that really a, a deal then to package up with the first rounder to go and get Cole Komet? Bit of column A, bit of column B, who knows? Um, but, yeah, I will always have my eyes on the tight ends, that's for sure. <laughs> I know you do, mate. I'm looking yeah, at... Ben, before we get into... Um, Jake's roster. I just want to go through one more trade, and that was it was done a it was done probably a probably three or four weeks ago now. But we remember back to year one and the the final. We we there's only one name you can remember in that final, and that was JD McKissick. Now you've sold him off to Jim for a third rounder. We've, we're going to talk about the fantasy gods in a sec, but are you tempting fate here with selling him off for a third rounder to Jim? <laughs> um. Yes, that one's not. That's kind of a funny story as well. <laughs> I had made an offer to Jim, thinking that I needed a roster spot. I can't remember what trade it was for, and I forgot that I never retracted it. And Jim accepted like three days later. I was like, "Oh, a trade," and I'm like, "Oh, look at me! What? It's fucking me!" I was like, "Ah, oh, oh well, yep, cool, fantastic, cool." <laughs> I think I think you're not giving yourself enough credit here. Jake, I think what you've done is given Jim an asset that is only going to appreciate the closer the playoffs come, and you can just flip him back for a fourth. That's what I'm hoping. I think yeah, speaking of Jim, can I, can I have my pot at Jim now? Go. Please do. You know how he compared himself? I think it was to St Kilda, and then someone else compared to North Melbourne. Nowhere near it. He's only, like, comparison is Britney Spears. He's four seconds away from a conservatorship or whatever the hell she's got. Every decision that he makes for this franchise needs to go through someone else. He has no decision-making power from from when. At what point? I, I see what's going on here, boys. He's he's in this coaching philosophy. <laughs> he's He might be the first dual owner in the league. <laughs> and you want to talk about collusion, that will be collusion if I've ever seen it. Can I? It's funny that you touch on this, Jake, because I was looking at Donald Parham after this trade and the history. I love this part of Sleeper yes. and the journey that Donald Parham's gone on. <laughs> Picked up off waivers by Keeney for $5, then traded to Jim. He basically uh, traded back around. He gave away a second round, got a third round back. So Keeney's just upgraded it around there. Then he sells him off for a fourth rounder <laughs> to then only see him get flipped for a, for a Nico Collins, a second and a third. Or a third, essentially. So he's got to feel else. good about buying high, selling low, and then seeing him sold <laughs> high again. What? Jesus. What do, we, what do we think about if the DFF and Jim morphed into a team? How do you reckon those conversations would go? You'd have one bloke going, fucking do it for a fourth, and the other bloke going, we're not trading ever. <laughs> the flowers blossom in spring, face. <laughs> Jesus, a fly on the oh, wall. But, but the best hypothetical ever, would you trade his whole roster <laughs> for Jim's whole roster? And you know what? I probably would. <laughs> it's a touchy subject, that. He, Very touchy. He, he, he wouldn't trade his roster for anyone, I don't no, think. No, because they've got nothing but upside all the time. 
Well, you know, it's not uh, like it's not like the second we finished the pod, one of his blokes did an ACL. Like that could never possibly happen to your list, could it? <laughs> yeah, that was a bit stiff. But uh, while we've got you on, Jake, I reckon it's you're a, you're a bit of a student of the fantasy game. I, I I get the feel, and I I reckon you would have listened to the podcast with Manny pretty intently. Have you got any feedback for either Manny's strategy or his thought process or, or what how he goes about it? What do you think? Or his mum. Or his mum, yeah. I've got a I've got an opinion on both. And <laughs> Manny Manny does nothing but talk in riddles. And I think he's been talking in riddles so long, he doesn't know his ass from his face. And there is one person to blame for this, and it's his mother. <laughs> his mother has raised a fucking coward. Mate, we're three years into a dynasty and he reckons he's two years away from competing. Buckle up, son. Fucking where are you? What is happening? Like, his strategy has got more holes in it than fucking Steph's logic. It's actually wild. Uh, shit. Yeah, it's uh, the taxi squad, mate. You can just leave them on the taxi oh, yeah, squad. Yeah, no worries. Taxi squad. Take a running back with three-year shelf life. Fucking taxi squad. I'll be ready in five years. <laughs> fucking idiots. It's also a worry when the DFF is convinced that you were going to win the championship if you didn't trade away your players, the bloke that never trades. So, uh, DFF, mate, you know when I knew Drew Locke was fucked? About halfway through season one, my DFS texted me saying, oh, I really like Drew Locke. I was like, oh, no worries. <laughs> Fantastic. He's fucked, isn't he? Mozzed him. Oh, shit. Well, it's probably a good segue to chat about your list because I'm going to start with a position group that probably is the absolute thinnest in your team, if not one of the two areas that you're probably most thin, and that is your quarterback room. you got Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, uh, Taylor Heineke, Drew Locke, and Ian Book there. So obviously Drew Locke was your upside uh, startup draft pick that hasn't really panned out for you. Taylor Heineke has been a nice waiver wire acquisition that's actually served you pretty well. Derek Carr was your off-season in the first season trade, uh, probably one of the first people to trade a future first, I reckon doing that one and Kirk Cousins you got also from Keeney last late last year was it no this year this, this year, year. Uh, yeah okay started this year so uh talk us through how you're feeling about that room whether you feel comfortable riding that pretty thin what you think Heineke's possibilities are in terms of outcomes this year uh I will ride it thin I'm not going to try and grab another one at this point um and sort of going to hope for a little bit of luck in terms of health in in both of them uh i i do think that getting to the player i just need them to be healthy in playoffs it's not i don't need them healthy all year i just need them to be healthy at the right time of year and i think both squads uh in terms of real life squads are good enough where they'll be aiming to and be conservative throughout the year and save them for the back half of the year both looking for a bit of a push i would have thought uh, Drew Locke, I, I think Drew Locke's significantly better quarterback than Geno Smith. Geno Smith's probably behind at the moment, just not knowing the offense, but I actually think that he's a much better quarterback because I think Geno Smith is rubbish. And Heineke served his purpose. Um, I I got really lucky with him, and, and he'll probably stay there just while I've got no one else. And the reality is Carson Wentz doesn't have uh, the greatest uh, injury history either, so there is a chance that he plays throughout the year as well. Um, but I'm, I am going to ride with it as it is at the moment. And if if I am close, like I hope I am, and I do need something later on in the year, I'm not going to be sort of afraid to sort of deal 
the rest of my future first and things like that to sort of make a maneuver later on but we'll sit with it for now well i was actually going to sort of ask a question off the back of that you may have already answered it but i was going to say if you are pretty thin. It was interesting you said, I just need them to be healthy at the right time of year. I would argue you need them to be healthy to get you there to start with. Um, but maybe you're a bit more confident with the rest of your squad. Theoretically, mate, if, say, Derek Carr goes down and he's, let's hope this doesn't happen, but he does his knee in week four, what's your <laughs> mindset there? Some people like Manny maybe would, would trade all their picks and, and reset or they'll just see how the year goes and, and sort of give it away for this year, would you then be aggressive or, sorry, or would you be aggressive in trading your future first to get back in the game this year? Uh, I, de- I definitely will be looking to stay in the game for this year. It probably depends on the time frame of the injury and when it happens. If it happens week one, I'm probably not going to start selling everything in week one because there's so much more left of the season. If we're talking at week you know, 10, and I'm in it up to my eyeballs and I need someone, then that's a different sort of predicament as well. Um, so it's probably it's probably too many different hypotheticals to say one way or the other. But like obviously the position my list is in, I think in comparison to the rest of the league, I think I'm in with a good chance of of making it to the playoffs, which honestly should kind of be everyone's aim is to get there. I think once you're there, it's already proven. You don't need to be the best squad. You don't need to have scored the most points all year and have the best record. You need to win. You need to have three good weeks. So I'm not, uh, I'm not worried about sort of winning our division or how I get there. I just think I need to be able to get there and then sort of worry about it later. Yep. No, I think that's that's pretty much spot on. So you're comfortable that the rest of your and we'll go through the rest of your team. It is pretty loaded. The rest of your squad can get you there if there is a couple of weeks here and there where maybe you're thin at QB and you've only got to start one. Yeah, because I, I think that the strength of my squad outside of quarterback is the depth. So I can probably afford injuries across other positions and be quite comfortable without too much of um, sort of a downward trajectory. Uh, the, the the quarterback will hurt, and the reality is I'm going to cop it in bye weeks as well uh, because I'm, there are going to be weeks where I'm, I'm no doubt going to have one QB just even if they're fully healthy. So I've got to I've sort of taken that risk going into the season anyway. But like I said, I. I I'm confident enough that uh, I've, I should beat a couple of our league members depending on weeks. Like Manny, Manny is honestly an absolute wild card. He talked about variability uh, on his pod. Like he's the ultimate variable because of his wide receiver room and, and the points that those that group can score. Um, but uh, all things being equal, I probably get a couple of wins out of them. And um, you know, if Ben has some injuries as well, you never know how that sort of plays out. So. Um, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable being able to get there again, to be honest. No, nah, I'm like the DFF, mate. Nothing but upside here. Well, you're all fucked if you get injuries. Nah, what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm talking about. You're, you're in a lot of trouble if you have a couple of injuries. Mate, I had injuries uh, in the playoffs last year. That's why I went and got an extra quarterback. It's all well, good. You're talking about, you're talking about a, a playoff series which you weren't successful, and I don't think that you've got enough depth. Yeah, well, there's probably <laughs> one team in the league that has arguable depth. I reckon everyone else is just scraping some twos and threes on their I tend to potential agree. scoring. But, um, I tend to agree. All right, Keeney, why don't you run through I reckon arguably mm. probably your strongest part of the list here, and that's your running backs. Well, especially after the addition of Saquon, um, I think you can you can basically play four every week. Um 
Saquon Najee Harris, obviously a, a nice addition last year, Jake. Let's not talk about that ever again. Uh, Zeke Elliott, on his last year of his contract, he's an interesting player on your roster, but you do have Tony Pollard as well. Uh, Leonard Fournette, I think he's still underrated this year. I think he'll have a fine season. And then I like what I like about your running back room is you've got a really nice mix of some older experienced guys that are clear number one, but also some youth coming through. Ramondre Stevenson, Rashad White, Zamir White, um, even someone like Tyrion Davis-Price or a, a Tyler Beatty, these kind of guys that are getting some pretty good buzz um, as younger players, first-year players. You've got a really nice mix there. So um, really strong room, as I said, sort of sort of deep. There's honestly like eight or nine running backs there that you could start in a given week, I reckon. So that's a pretty good position to be in. I'm... Um... I'm intrigued by this position group when you read it out, Keeney, because you use the word strong and deep, and I can't imagine. I can't help but think you're just talking about one man, and you you mispronounced his last name. It's Ramondre Stephenson, and don't even try Stephenson any time on this pod ever again. Sorry, because <laughs> you you get up and about for this man. Where, where are you at with uh, Ramondre Stephenson? The DFF uh, just four days ago was saying he's pretty confident Damien Harris will lead that backfield this year. Uh, what do you? Th- what? It's never always a fun, fun time having a Patriots running back. To be honest, what are you? What are your thoughts with the big stiff? Nah, he, I think he's the best running back. But he's the most versatile running back there. And the fact that DFF said that Harris is going to win the job is just cursed. Harris. So the fact that he's endorsed him is, is a great news for me. Um, but yeah, no, I think overall, you're right. I sort of was quite selective again. Most of those guys are either first or second year, and I've drafted all of those guys. And I think the running back position is so uh, situational in, in the NFL. Like a guy can bob up all the time. Uh, I think we saw that in year one with Elijah Mitchell, especially. So, sort of as soon as we saw that, uh, or as soon as I saw that, anyway, I was like just trying to find as many of those types of situation and not worry too much about um, kind of anything else, just hoping that it's the right circumstance, they can get in and play a role in, in the right offense and blah, blah, blah. So Ravens, um, the 49ers, um, I mean, historically the Bills haven't been great, but they're a good offense. So guys like Singletary and things like that have been the target. Uh, I'm surprised that a couple have fallen to me where they did, to be honest. This is a really interesting group of yours because of the points Keeney made. You've got four top-end number one backs, Mm. but then you've got four that there is a path that they are the starter in a year's time. In Mm -hmm. Stevenson, Zemir White, Rashad White, probably not with Fournette signing two years, but you never know. And then Tony Pollard. So... Going back to that scenario, and obviously we don't um, want to see this. We don't, we don't want to see any quarterback injuries. But there is a world where you could actually flip your team and you, you could mm. send those top backs with knowing that there's four backs there that could be starters next year and reloading. It just gives yourself so much flexibility, ironically, with the running back group. Um, and just, just on the Stevenson versus Harris situation. Stephenson. Yeah, you've gone Stevenson twice after making that comment. Yeah, I'm 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 looking at bloody something on my screen. They've stuffed his name up. Um, <laughs> so the only thing I see, I, I agree, uh, the stiff is the better back. But 
I think they this being the last year, they will ride Harris into the ground and probably save him a bit. So that's the only thing I'd say on those two. Kind of like the other way for you, it works, is Zeke. They'll probably do exactly the same with him. And then Pollard will chip in and then be probably the starter next year or they can go elsewhere. But I think it's Zeke's last year in Dallas. Yeah, which which sort of it's a like it's a little bit of mitigating risk having those types of guys on your roster. But at the same time, it gives you selection headaches week to week. Like there is a week guaranteed that I've got Pollard on the bench and he gets the carries for whatever reason, Zeke fumbles, whatever, and he scores a fucking two. And it happened to me last year and then Pollard goes and scores an 18 or something on my bench. And that's sort of the risk uh, that you run throughout the season, having those types of predicaments. But I'd much rather have that up my sleeve and be able to, as I think I might have been Ken just before, I know it was you, the, the, the flexibility there, because the shelf life of running back is what it is, if things don't go my way, I guarantee there's scarcity in that position towards the back end of the season, and people are going to be looking for that one or two pieces to get it done. And everyone talks about quarterback, 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 but generally the teams that are competing are set there normally, and they're looking for those other peripheral pieces to sort of make their final claim. And you've got to also offload a significant amount to get the quarterback in. Whereas I might be able to get, you know, a couple of seconds or a, a back end first or something like that, slightly overs for a guy like a Fournette, right? I, I probably can't get that today, but, but back into the season, if someone's missing that one running back, I can probably get slight overs rather than looking for the haul. I think everyone's looking for that back end of the season, like Papa last year, where. Oh, I, I must have two first-rounders for Brady with one year left because it'll get you a ring. Well, there's no guarantees. So this is a more palatable trade later on the season for those other types of position. Yeah. Where, where are you with with trading like a Fournette? So if you get a decent price on Fournette at the back end of the year, say you get a first, whatever, mm. where are you? Where, where's your mindset around trading that to a contender? Well, hopefully I'm a contender. Right. So, Grant, yeah. yeah, with the proviso that you, you're in the mix. Yeah, no, 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 no issues at all. The reality is there's no one on, I don't think anyone's on anyone's roster is is unbiable is the reality. So, uh, if so if I'm sort of out of it later on the year and I think that I can get value out of a Fournette or value out of even, even if it's a Zeke and Pollard combo or uh, Saquon, again, if Saquon come, bounces back this year, and he's Saquon of old and he's a top five RB later on the season, but I'm out of it. Like, I'd be dumb not to entertain an idea that I could get a first and a, a small piece or something like that for Saquon like I paid for it before the beginning of the year. What about what about before the season starts, Jake? We've got there's – a, there's a league member in my division. He may have won it last year. Mm. He's awfully thin at running back mm. and he's awfully strong at many other positions. If if someone like him who who we think will be a contender again comes knocking on your door for your deep running back room, how did how does that go? Oh, it depends on the offer, obviously. Uh, I, I'd say no at this stage. That I'm pretty content with. Like I, I feel like I've made my moves for for this season so far, and that I'd want to at least have a, a period of time in the league where I can ride this squad and see where this squad takes me. Uh, I'm I'm quite content heading into round one with the, the squad that I've got. I don't know about you boys, but there's something awfully tasty about seeing other teams have holes in their roster and see them stress the closer the season gets. 
And I think it's nice to have the assets there for that time that they get real desperate. And it might be in the season where, like, Matty Mack, his scoring power last year was phenomenal. And there's no reason why his wide receivers and quarterbacks can't do it again. But if he gets off to a good start and he just wants to top up running back, I think I think it gets quite tasty for other teams with those assets. Yeah, it's, it's probably... You're right. I reckon that the two periods that are the tastiest are the week before the season starts and sort of the two weeks before the playoffs start. Mm. They're probably the two sort of windows mm. where you can potentially get the most value because everyone wants to have a, a nice-looking lineup for week one. It's the same value as week 10. You get the same amount of wins and mm. losses, but the, the psychology around what that looks like in week one and you feel better if you've got a nice week one lineup um, is always a sort of interesting dynamic, isn't it? For sure. And unless you're like me who drinks coffee at 10 p.m., everyone's after a better sleep at night, and that's the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hod, why don't you go through the wide receivers here? Let's do it. Um, so, couple of additions here. Yes. Um, interesting group, this, because I think I alluded to it in a previous pod. If you can get through the first six weeks relatively. Um, well and healthy, you get DeAndre back, who I think people have forgotten how good he is. But DeAndre Hopkins, um, Juju, quite a popular name in redrafts this year um, with the Kansas City boost factor. Gabe Davis, holy dooly. Uh, Elijah Moore just got named the number one receiver by a long way. Mike Williams, Tyler Lockett as the sixth. Jarvis Landry. Tyquan Thornton, is it, who's that? The Patriots draft? Patriots. Yeah, first rounder. Zay, Zay Jones and then Byron Pringle. But, boys, that's a that's a group that can definitely carry the Hopkins injury. Uh, I mean, suspension. And if they hit, there is a few question marks, but there is a path where they hit, like the Jujus, the Gabe Davis, Elijah Moore, Mike Williams, Tyler Lockett. Um, it's a pretty good group. I don't mind yeah. it. And... and- You've brought in this year, you've obviously traded for Juju, Gabe Davis. Uh, they're the main two, aren't they? That's about it, right? Um, but I reckon outside of sort of Hopkins, you look at Juju Davis, Elijah Moore, Mike Williams, those four main guys have all risen in value in the last month, I reckon. Mm. I reckon they've all been sort of positive positive news reports out for them. So um, as you said, Hod, it's going to be important for the first six weeks to have enough cover there. And, and realistically, you only need to start three if you've got four running backs. So... Um, I think you'll be all sweet. Well, that's a good point there. Is you, I know you were tossing up your week-to-week matchups with your running backs. I reckon you're going to struggle with the running backs and wide receivers because there's a lot of names there that have buzz and there's only so many spots you can pick every week. Uh, it's it's a good position to be in, but it's also one that can give you headaches on a week-to-week basis. Or you could do a gym and just sleep through it all. Yeah, that's true. I reckon I'll have issues uh, with uh, good issues, like who I'm picking before bi-weeks. And then once bi-weeks start to come in, I think that it'll just be sort of pick the guys, obviously, who don't have who don't have their buys. The other thing as well, um, with the running back room that I've got, ideally the, the four guys are almost um, match-up proof in terms of their, their workhorse backs predominantly uh, with pretty good flaws. 
Um, so I'm kind of hoping the reality is Elijah Moore, uh, Gabe Davis, and Mike Williams are all pure upside receivers. And I kind of just need one to do it every week as opposed to waiting on all three, hoping that the other four running backs score their, their decent amount um, and just sort of hope for the best. If two of the reality, if I if my running backs do sort of what they need to do and, and score sort of those that mid team type score, and two of those receivers, I'm not even worrying about what happens at quarterback because Mike Williams has shown he can score for freakish numbers. Gabe Davis, if he does what he is in the playoffs, is freakish numbers. Juju, I'm at, like when I got Juju, I got him based on the Kansas City factor. Uh, I don't know. I think Benny is a big advocate of uh, the propaganda that exists. I'm not 100% convinced on the Juju thing yet. Uh, obviously, he's, he's in my starting wide receiver room. I, I'm not 100% sold that he's going to be the answer at wide receiver. I reckon he gets overtaken by Elijah Moore. I can see a world where he gets overtaken by Elijah Moore as my top three very quickly. Uh, he could be done, you know, honestly. I'm not, I'm not sure. He doesn't replace Tyreek Hill. And Kelsey exists underneath, so I don't really know if yeah, they can yeah. coexist. Mm. Um, so I've got I've gone for the upside, but I'm not actually that confident uh, on him being able to be the guy. Yeah, it's a very a very interesting point on Juju. There, there's so many different ways it can go, but it is his contract year. Can mm. like, is there a better place to be in a contract year than have Patrick Mahomes throwing you the ball? Mm. Um, maybe they change from that air raid, you know, long, deep threat without Hill, and they do go more to an in and under. And if we learned anything last year with Mahomes, he struggled because mm. they took away the deep ball and played a lot of cover too. That could open it up for Juju, and they have to play under a lot more if defences stick with that strategy. I, I'm actually higher on Jarvis Landry for the first six weeks of the year than I am on Juju because of his situation. I think while Olavi's like finding his feet in NFL and no one knows what's happening with Michael Thomas, I actually think that Jarvis Landry can come in and play a role in what's always a good offense. Um, and Jameis uh, has shown that he's sort of evolved from a full-blown gunslinger to be able to play within a system. I actually think that Landry is every chance to start ahead of Juju in my roster for the first six weeks in particular. Mm. Um, I've got one more point to make here with your squad just looking at a couple of things now we know this league loves a stack and you've got a very mouth-watering one here with drew lock and tyler lock <laughs> now it'd be rude of us not to ask the question we need to ask everyone where's your jimmy g spot jake i mean wh where is J jimmy g spot gonna land because We've talked about the quarterbacks. You've got two good, solid ones, but Drew Locke is your third. And if he went to Seattle, I think that could create all sorts of issues for your squad in the only position. I think you've got some answers there or questions, sorry. Uh, I don't reckon Jimmy G lands in Seattle because Seattle's too far away. Like Jimmy G, I think, will land at a side where they think that they're Jimmy G away from making the playoffs and Seattle suck balls. So I don't think they go out and spend anything on Garoppolo, to be honest. I think it's more likely that he lands uh, somewhere like a Miami if Tua struggles or uh, goes in and lands at the Browns if Deshaun doesn't get off, you know, if he ends up with the Tolman suspension or something like that. 
Uh, I don't think that he lands at, at Seattle, to be honest. Mm. Is it getting too late to, for a destination for Jimmy G? It's it's we're playing a preseason close. game tomorrow, which is exciting. We haven't touched on that. Um, four weeks from the season starting, uh, I've got a feeling he might just sit Stick around in San Fran. Yeah, maybe be funny as yeah, <laughs> really would the the league. I, I don't think it's too late because of what the NFL is. To be honest, like people will continue to make moves. Like I said, if they think that they're close. And they think they're, they're Jimmy G, uh, a game manager away from from being competitive or making the playoffs or things like that. I, I don't see him sticking around. And especially with Trey Lance being clearly the guy there now, um, Jimmy G is worth something today. And typically the 49ers are pretty good at business and, and moving players on and getting something back in that could add value to them because they're right, they're, they're there or thereabouts. So if they're taken on the Trey Lance, you know, on the bandwagon, it, it doesn't make any sense to keep him around, which is one, a distraction for a young quarterback, and two, they could get something either to future-proof and get like a later round pick or another piece that sort of suits what they're building. Yeah. I, I agree with all of that. I just don't think there's many teams that fit the where we've got everything but a QB. Yeah, but you spoke a QB, of- Like Jimmy G is not a world better. As you said, he's a game manager. Yeah. So which team out there is so good everywhere else, but they just need a game manager. I reckon all the teams have addressed that. I reckon you spoke about Seattle not being likely, but because they're not close enough, but their head coach has been described as the DFF <laughs> of the NFL. So I reckon he's every chance to end up there. Well, d- dare I say the DFF may have made a solid point um, last week, but uh, just that divisional rivalry, yeah. I think I think that was a smart thing to say. Is that it's probably not likely. Um, I think the Miami or Cleveland are probably the the two most wild card spots that seem likely. Well, what I was going to say is, like we just touched on it before, is it's it might be an in season that there is a team mm. that starts red hot, yeah, um, is right in the window, and eight weeks in they lose their quarterback, and they're like, fuck. Well, let's just get a proven signal caller in and give it a shot. When they can, you know, like the yeah. the Raiders or someone. I don't know. Yeah, that's 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 sort of <laughs> what I was referring to. Rather than a now, not someone that thinks now they're Jimmy G away, but if they're six weeks in and they're four and two and they lose their quarterback, then you go and get Jimmy G for a fourth or something like that and plug the hole as opposed to now. He probably lands there. He probably starts the season to your point on the 49ers roster, like the Chiefs bet. Nah. Like the Chiefs, nah, more more of a Raiders type. And he'd thing. be fucking perfect with the Chiefs. He'd be hitting Juju underneath all day. <laughs> Sounds like a now Vikings bo- type of player to me too. Now, boys, it w- it wouldn't be an EDL pod if I didn't rattle off the tight end group. So can I uh, get go that for up, it, mate? There's not many. There's not many, but close to home here for me. So I, th- I think I may as well get into it. Dalton Schultz, uh, the newly acquired. Uh, along, he'll start with Austin Hooper, um, CJ Uzuma, who got a run on last week's pod. Oh, didn't he? He did. Jeepers, you must have been happy hearing that, Jake. And then OJ Howard is still around. Where's he? He's in Buffalo and he's fucking nowhere. Fitting. <laughs> OJ's um, legal team. OJ's yeah. legal team. I, I actually thought when um, OJ Howard landed in Buffalo that that was a good landing spot. Um, Again, based on situation, if, if Dawson Knox gets injured or something like that, 
uh, everything that I've read is that um, he stinks. <laughs> I, I was thinking well, the same about Evan Ingram, who went in the same draft as him when he Evan landed in Ingram, Jackson. Evan Ingram is the worst fucking tight end to ever play in the AFL. I have a be my bonnet about Evan Ingram. He is a piece of shit. He sucks so bad. He sucks so bad the Giants let him go. He is horrific. Like, if I have one more person talk upside on Evan Ingram because he can run a good fucking 40 at six foot six, shut the fuck up. He is a spud. This is music to my ears, boys. I think I've been talking about this for three years. Oh, man, I'm singing from your fucking hymn book. He is an absolute potato. He's starting on Thais' roster. Oh, I bet he is because Thais is shit. <laughs> well, I won a ring last year, so like, kind of works. That's what he has to say. Uh, oh, what a nice little uh, rant about Evan Engram. I think we should get you on to speak about Evan Engram every pod, mate. But uh, we'll finish up with your draft picks here, and that is not much in the 23 draft, just a third, but then you've got uh, Camo's first in the 24 draft, a couple of thirds and a fourth, and in 25th, or 2025, sorry, you've got uh, your first plus Keenies, you've got your second plus Keenies, which makes that a nice little juicy, you know, building your team for now, but you've also got that insurance play in a few years' time. I was going to say, for the for the contending teams in terms of their current roster right now and how deep you are, to have four first-round picks on top puts you in a really, really good position. I don't think any other sort of, quote, contender has those four first-rounders or three first-rounders like you do. Yeah, I think oh, I know I just canned him, but was Thais has got fucking six in the next draft or something like that, and I mean he, he could. He His could squad's utilize, not as deep as you though. Yeah, he could utilize. I say he could use a couple of them to actually fill out his roster, and then he probably ends up with a few, uh, a few less. But that was sort of always been. Uh, I haven't really had. A, well, I haven't. I had a first round pick. I took uh, Deontay Smith, and when um, old Hod Dick fucking. Snipe Mac Jones from me, um, <laughs> and that's I, I don't, don't remember having a, a first rounder outside of that. Sort of backed myself to pick guys, and in particular second, and then occasionally the third round as well. I haven't sort of worried about having the first, thinking that I've got enough depth, sorry, enough good players on my roster, and just be better at finding sort of the guys like a Frymuth or or others, uh, which can hopefully raise sort of yeah, gain in value. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know why everyone's fourth. I get it, but I don't know why everyone's also scared off the third. I think Elijah, like I said, Elijah Mitchell in the first draft is the perfect example of diamonds exist later on, and it happens in in real NFL like it does in fantasy. Like guys come on at different times, and you be like, and you talk about them all the time. Oh, this guy's a sixth round pick and a fifth round pick and shit like that, and they just get overlooked and assuming that like the DFF. This is what blows my mind. Right, he's like, I've got four firsts. Well, that doesn't mean fucking anything. Oh, they just need time to develop. Well, you're not developing them. So it actually doesn't mean much if you miss, if you fuck up the picks. And people are really nervous about the third rounders in particular that they can't find anything. It's because they're just, like, worried that they're not going to be the guy. But fucking have a crack. Like, it's ridiculous. And and to follow on from that, not only do you have to nail the pick, you've got to wait long enough to work out if they've if you've nailed it or not. Yeah. By the time you work it out, they're worth yeah. nothing if you haven't. Hundred percent. Well, it's it's a really good point um, that speaks to something I'm going to talk about because those those picks can turn into 
a name that someone likes. And mm. if you look at what Jake's done, Alec Pierce has been then on sold to acquire a Saquon Barkley because we believe Papa really likes what Alec Pierce. Um, despite the third round, forget about where he was drafted. He's now liking the name. Jalen Tolbert, same for me. That worked for my team because I had Gallup. And there's um, there's a path there for him as well as mitigating some risk. And then you've got a Dalton Schultz in. So the picks can be so powerful. Um, and it's definitely something that I've, I'm open and honest about. Didn't value him at the start of my, this EDL league and now value them and including what you just said about thirds. I think thirds are really important, especially in a deep draft, which is coming up. Yeah, I think the league is genuinely turning though in in that direction where people understand that it's not they don't people don't just continue to carry their legacy value. So like a Saquon being the inaugural pick for for Papa, like it doesn't really mean anything. I I took um Todd Gurley in the fourth round. Just not on my roster. Keeney's favorite pick of the startup. Sorry? That was Keeney's favorite pick of the whole startup, I think. Yeah, which that was a super arrogant pick to us at the time, but um, there is there is it, as the league continues to develop and people realize, oh, that guy who I just traded for, for three first was a third round pick or whatever it is, and that starts to uh, reset the market and people lose the fact that oh, he was taken in, in the third round, just like in the NFL as well, and it's also. Um, I think it will start to evolve where we will have less teams tanking and more teams going for it more often because people also, I think that we're probably skewed too heavily uh, at the moment where it feels like it's almost 50-50, where 50% of the teams are like, oh, I'm not in it this year. Like, well, okay. That just allows opportunity for those that are going for it at the time. And I do think that it will correct itself to the point where people won't choose to bottom out. Like Scoot is an example. He's at the bottom now, but he had a crack at it and it didn't work. And he's now have to reset because of the situation as opposed to other people. Like I'm choosing to reset because I'm a coward, right? And there's so <laughs> much that that exists. DFF started our, our league by saying, I'm on a five-year rebuild. Before he had a player, he was rebuilding. Like I think that mindset it's will continue to change. It's because the guy does redraft every every year and can't <laughs> win, so now he can't lose. He can't lose doing yeah. his strategy. He absolutely can never lose, and that's why he's going to stick with it forever and a day. Hundred uh, percent. Some very very good conversation and some good points uh, you make there. Just on the DFF, we we set a line at seven and a half wins, Jake. Now. I think I was going to ask you about what your feelings are towards him. He's one of the great characters of this league, but he's got a bit of a polarizing team and a polarizing situation. So if you had to make a wager there on the seven and a half, which way are you leaning? I'm actually... um, Can he make playoffs? Can he win a playoff? Can he make playoffs? Uh, There's a world where he can, but it has... Like, Manny Manny has to collapse, I think. Um, but he also does genuinely have, like, if we buy into everything around Swift and Lance and guys like that, he has enough scoring potential that um, he could potentially make that sort of sixth or fifth spot. Uh, and because of the division he's in as well, he's, he's likely to have, honestly, I think seven, seven or eight is around about where he'll land. Um, and if things sort of go his way, and he cops people on bad weeks and stuff. There's a world where he's on eight or nine wins, genuinely. 
Like, and that's through no fault of his. He's fucked. Like, he'll fluke into that. He'll fall into that. Um, he won't have deserved to actually get there. But the way that he sort of his roster looks at the moment with um, old mate uh, Sticky Fingers in in New York over there, uh, he's got enough weapons around him that Zach Wilson has a path to being a genuine QB. I think as well. And if he lands that with a lance, he's, he's not can't be that far away in that fucking piece of shit division. Boys, I'm not sure if you boys listen to the DFF. Uh, it's an absolute shoo-in that he gets eight points. <laughs> Trey Lance, top five quarterback next year. DeAndre Swift, top three. Brees Hall, top five or ten. Where are we? Mike Kosicki. Let me get to the tight end, sir. Jalen Waddle, he'll be a top. What did, I think he said top 15 or you got this, the d- dynamic Bears offense, Jake. You can talk to this. Darnell Mooney, absolute superstar. And then we get to Cole Komet, top 10. Mike Gesicki, top 10. This is a superstar team. What can go wrong? It's not hard to be a top 10 tight end. But um, yeah, genuinely, though, the only thing holding the DFF back from having more than eight wins is Steph. <laughs> He's in a position, as it stands today, in his division with his roster. If one of the four people on this screen at the moment had his roster, I would say eight wins is well within his grasp. Because it's Steph, he's the thing holding it back. And why would that be? The DFF's number one rule. Number one (laughs) rule, the secret of success. Trade as little as possible. He has this mentality that, like, I think, I think... The logic he was going with around real life teams is is chemistry, being around each other all the time. I don't think he remembers that these guys don't talk to each other. No, no, <laughs> it's a real factory in his eyes. Affair. It's a real factory. I, I, they I don't all think work he knows there. The difference, Ben. Ben, I, I'm, don't, I'm not sure he knows the difference. Beetlejuice. <laughs> Beetlejuice, man. Look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. Look up fucking Beetlejuice. I think we know the name of this episode as well, which is fantastic. Um. This is one we do every week as well, average age of the list. Where, you, We say that you had your, your mini rebuild. Where do you think over the three years you've shifted the age of your lift, list from? Uh, as a ranking, I don't reckon I've moved it a great deal. I reckon I've probably always been one of the older teams. I went in at the beginning. I No doubt I would have been at the very, very top end. Uh, having guys like Edelman and, and things like that on the roster. So I would have thought I'd be in the top three oldest to begin with. Yeah, third oldest with 29 as your average age, but but you're selling yourself short a bit. The next two years, including as of right now, you've moved to about middle of the pack with an average age of 26. So it's yeah. uh, it's a fair reset that you've done there and obviously <clears throat> getting in your Najee Harris's, your Pat Frymuth's <laughs> and all that and then shifting things around, it's worked out all right for you. And we, we glossed over it earlier, boys, and I, I have to bring it up because I know it's going to just absolutely add salt in the wounds of one of the blokes on the podcast right now, and that is you couldn't, if you had to track trades in this league and talk about cashing out at the all-time high of a player, Jake cashing out on Calvin Ridley has to be possibly the best cash out you could ever come across. This bloke has <laughs> not played a game since for two years. And you fucking cashed out for an absolute ransom there. Unbelievable. Forget forget Hod's crystal balls, bloody Krista loves Keeney balls. We need Jake's crystal balls on as a... Fuck the ideas, man, off. 
get Jake's crystal balls because that right there is the epitome Do you want- of seeing into the future. And that's also why he's in contention for a third year running. Absolutely. So this how, is would you, how would you be if you just didn't trade and just I'm going to back my squad in to sing Kumbaya and hold hands around the fireplace? Yeah, in fact, you're right. I think this is this story has come up on the pod before. I nearly traded Henry Ruggs a week before he, yes, uh, that's did what right. he did. To Papa, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a Papa for he a couple uses. of picks as well. I think it was a couple of seconds that were on the table for him. And the one lesson I learned then is if you've got a good ta- offer on the table, you've got to take it. Yeah, you never know when someone's going to speed their way out of a windshield. Um, mm. <laughs> Najee Harris, a first and a second for Calvin mm. Ridley, a second and a third. That is. Gross. Pretty fucking, and as if you were going to know the the way it goes down, but it just highlights, you know, why the DFF probably uh, is going to be where he's going to be with his mentality of trading because these things happen to your players, DFF, whether you want to admit it or not. Oh, so I was going to say, I think also though at the time, and this is what, again, I'm not going to worry about Steph's logic, but at the time it sort of made sense. I had just won, I thought Ridley... Obviously, he's peaking now, and I'm looking to shift and be younger. And it's actually, to use uh, Keeney's favorite phrase of a man with a plan, like the plan was to get younger. Like the DFF is hoping for like lightning to strike twice type of thing. He's just sitting there waiting on, you know, things to evolve and just happen organically as opposed to going, okay, this is the direction I'm heading. I'm going to make decisions to head in in a way. Where, you know, same thing, like at the moment we're looking at Saquon, right, as the this could be a great trade. And there's every chance that it is a horrific trade. Like there are heaps of trades that have gone down at the time in our league and we're like, oh, that guy wins by a landslide. And in six months' time, it flips completely like, oh, my God, he got rolled. And it's the other guy in the trade. Yeah. And it's just like it's the way, it's the way fantasy and the NFL works. You have no idea. So what I'm surmising yeah. here is if you stay static, you'll uh, you'll never Going get backwards. anywhere. It's a bit like what Hod was saying to the DFF when you sort of questioned your running backs are so good, but the rest of your roster needs to improve to actually use that uh, strength in your running back to compete um, instead of, as you said, Jake, just naturally organically hoping it all comes together at the exact same time. These positions have different shelf lives and peaks at peak at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost not possible for that to actually happen. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's no secret and I don't feel uncomfortable sort of saying this. And you're right, Katie. I feel like I'm always trying to plan for a three-year window. So at the moment, I feel like my roster is set up to compete for three years. And I want to continually try and reset to be a factor for the next three years. If something happens one way or the other, it'll be because of circumstances that were out of my control. So constantly trying to get things in to be competitive for at least a three-year window is sort of the way that I've always positioned myself. It's the same way. That's how I approached the startup draft to begin with. All the guys I felt like I went and got, minus a few, were guys that would help me compete for at least three years but not worrying about taking that guy like a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the fucking first round, not knowing who it's going to be in the hope that he gives you seven, like because it's too far out to be able to predict. But he fell. He fell to the DFF in that round. Oh, don't, yeah. Don't forget fell. that. I yeah. think we've spoken too much about the DFF on a podcast that he's not on. Um, yeah, it's the same, but it's the same philosophy. Like, um, what's it name? Josh Allen goes in the fourth round of our startup. Like... Justin, no, Justin, Justin Herbert in the 10th. 
ridiculous. So dumb. I took Anthony Miller instead of taking Derek Carr <laughs> in like the 12th. Yeah, and then you traded a first round and Hurts. Uh, Hurts. Trust me. Oh. I know. Yeah. And, I still got a, and I still got a chip. <laughs> a tip and a good squad. Hey, before we go, I reckon we'll wrap it up in a sec. But um, one last thing, we we sort of touched on it. The week one schedule and the rest of the schedule has been uh, released on Sleeper tonight. Um, your first week matchup, Jake, with uh, with the man, the Park City Lions. There uh, is the option of playing it safe with a floor player like Jarvis Landry going to get it done in week one. No fucking chance. Uh, no, nah, it's probably not the best way to get uh, old Benny Parker. Um, I would have liked to have at least, the way that we've shifted the uh, the schedule to at least get him round three. But that's okay. I'll still be two and one at the end of three rounds. So um, it is what it is. Ooh. Two out of three ain't bad, they say. Yeah, mm. they do. Uh, probably the only thing for round one or the early rounds as well is Amari Cooper not having Deshaun is what it's sort of looking like. So that's probably one negative, but I'm pretty confident I can uh, can take it to you, mate. Yeah, man, me too. You'd hate to fuck that one up. <laughs> can't, can't fuck it up. When you win the division, you can't fuck it up. It's easy. Easy. Easy peasy. With yeah. my lack of depth, just watch me stroll through that that's, team. That's of yours, why I mate. said round one's not the right time to get you. Your depth isn't in question. I'd like to get you round 11 and see how you're going. That's true. When you're playing the Zay Jones of the world. Unlike, unlikely. If I'm playing Zay Jones, like there's a lot of things that have gone wrong. If a lot of things go wrong in the same way, who are you playing? Who's your equivalent of Zay Jones on your roster? Miles Gaskin. <laughs> Oh, God, he's not even going to be on a fucking roster. Nah, Khalil Herbert, mate. Fucking gun. Not again, who's Khalil? I go for Chicago. Khalil Herbert's poo. Oh, oh. And that's not what you were saying last year. You fucking love the bloke. Nah, Montgomery, Montgomery has that backfield sewn up. If someone would need to go wrong for Mon- with, with Montgomery for Herbert to be relevant, I reckon. Yeah. Well, you know, time will tell. <laughs> we'll wait and see. I didn't think it was possible, but you've outspoken the last guest as we uh, round up one hour and 18 minutes. But as always, every single time you come on, mate, you are never short of things to say, uh, never short of pots to take on other members and uh, never short of opinions. So thanks for coming on. Uh, boys, thank you uh, very much for having me. I don't get much time on the pod, so I really appreciate the hour and 18. <laughs> You're up, very good, Jake. Uh, appreciate all your thoughts and comments and your, your roasting of the other league members was appreciated. Ben, you missed a trick there. You could have easily said, I'll just trade Trevor Lawrence for a fuckload and be right back in the mix. But uh, that's a conversation for another pod. Hod, over to you, mate. Well, you sort of nailed it there, Ben, because this guest of ours gave Manny shit for talking in circles and riddles. <laughs> Fuck me, can he talk? He could talk the gate off its hinges, boys. He could talk the hide off a cow. I'm running with Pappy's jokes here. And he could talk the legs off a chair. Have a breath, mate. There was more silence from us hosts than bloody Steph's thinking last week. <laughs> but um, I just want to say, in light of last week, I think it's been two polar opposite people in this league and what they bring. Because Jake was part of the first trade ever in this league. He has had the ultimate success. So it's fitting, boys, that 
after last week's secret to success. I'll ask you boys again, what's the number one secret to ultimate success? Trade Do often. not trade. Trade often. Thank you, Jake. The BFF's number one rule. Number one rule to secret of success. Yep. Trade as little as possible.